0: Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together, we can be Hopefully Sustainable. Hi everyone we are back after taking last week off to record some very exciting episodes i'm really looking forward to sharing all of them with you in the upcoming weeks before we get into today's episode i just want to thank everyone for their support of hopefully sustainable i really appreciate reading all of the nice reviews on apple podcasts and having people reach out who have learned something new or gotten something out of the episodes if you want to support hopefully sustainable The best ways are to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, or share an episode with family and friends. I'm so excited to continue introducing you all to these incredible people out there who are making a difference. Today, we are diving into one of the more serious topics we've discussed on the podcast, eco-anxiety. According to the American Psychological Association, 56% of adults in the United States believe that climate change is the most important issue facing society today. Lately, we have seen the effects of climate change ravage farms in Iowa with an inland hurricane, wildfires destroy homes in California, and Hurricane Laura damage communities across Louisiana and Texas. As climate events like these are becoming more common, many people are starting to experience eco-anxiety, or what the APA defines as chronic fear of environmental doom. Today, I'm bringing on Laura Durenberger, the founder of the Reduce, Reuse, Renew blog. As someone who has dealt firsthand with eco-anxiety, She is bringing more awareness to the fact that if you are feeling anxious about the state of the environment, you are not alone. Laura teaches us about many different coping mechanisms, and we discuss how even if we are feeling these intense emotions, we can still be hopeful. I hope you all enjoy this episode, so let's get started. All right, everyone, today I am speaking with Laura. It was really neat because I actually was introduced to Laura and all of her great work over social media and Jessie Stokes from Tiny Yellow Bungalow actually recommended that I look into all of the incredible work that she's doing around minimalism and mindfulness and today we are going to be talking about a really interesting topic of eco-anxiety so before we get into the topic for the episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in sustainability?
1: Sure. So I think like most things in life, it's not a straightforward path. Um, so I'll, I'll try to keep it condensed. But um, so I'll start with the anxiety piece um, and because it, it does kind of lead into the, um, the sustainability part. So um, I've had anxiety my whole life. And it's it's just manifested in different ways, kind of you know on and off, and um, been in therapy on and off, and been on medication on and off. Um, it really escalated after my son was born. I had really bad postpartum anxiety and uh, was really struggling. So I decided to start. Uh, my current blog, which is right now Reduce, 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 Renew. It was at the time when I started it three years ago called the Mindful Mom Blogger, And it was basically just a way for me to hold myself accountable and incorporating some mindfulness and to help with my pretty severe anxiety that I was dealing with. Um, Around the same time, Uh, Our local county, I'm I'm from Minnesota, and our local county was hosting a zero-waste challenge. Um, It was an eight to nine-month-long challenge, and you had to apply. Um, Once you got accepted, there was, I think the year we applied, there was over 200 families that applied. Um, And for some reason, we were accepted. And... uh, we started the challenge. You were assigned a uh, staff liaison from the county and they basically walked you through uh, waste reduction tips at home and you just learned all about like composting and all sorts of uh, easy zero waste swaps. Um, We had to weigh our trash. So like I have data, which is kind of fun from you know the start and the, uh, the end of the challenge and uh, we reduced our waste by like 25 to 35 pounds a week um, wow. during those seven months so um, it's gone up since then as uh, so we've incorporated more uh, swaps and stuff but uh, that was kind of cool to be a part of that and I've really been interested in the environment and nature and everything you know also my whole life um, I went to environmental high school and had environmental college, environmental major in college and uh, for my undergrad and my graduate. So that piece has also kind of been part of my entire life.
0: Wow, that's a really interesting way that you kind of got really interested into, into sustainability and how you got started on this pathway. You mentioned your blog, Reduce, Reuse, Renew. What made you want to start a blog and what kind of content can people expect to find when they look up your blog?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned, I started initially as a way to incorporate mindfulness uh, into my life and then, uh, as I said, around that same time was when the Zero Waste Challenge started and so I was I'm like, well, I'll just, you know, throw both together. And cause I had a lot of friends and family that were interested in following along on the zero waste challenge. Um, kind of also around that same time, um, just a couple of years prior, I guess, uh, right, right before my son was born, I started really looking into decluttering as a way to help anxiety, um, and minimalism, uh, going beyond the physical clutter. And so like, all, they, all those topics just kind of started to, to flow together. And I started realizing that they all revolved around one core piece, which was reducing. So I kind of coined the term reduction-based lifestyle, and that encompasses mindfulness, minimalism, anxiety management, and zero-waste living. Again, all all those things revolve around reducing as kind of a main core concept so that's how the blog transitioned from the mindful mom blogger for to what it is now and as reduce reuse renew
0: when was the first time that you really learned about or heard about eco anxiety
1: i feel like i've had eco anxiety a while just been around learning about environmental stuff i mean i remember in high school Uh, you know, learning about a lot of the topics, unfortunately, that we're still talking about today. Um, You know, and again, being an anxious person, I I had anxiety around it. But it wasn't until probably the last year or so that I learned about the term eco anxiety. So it actually just gave it a name. Um, And and, and in a way that helps kind of uh, reduce the power of it, of that anxiety, just, you know, knowing that, okay, this is an eco-anxiety. And It's actually been a term, a term that's been around for over 10 years, so it's not new, it's just, I think, becoming more mainstream right now because so many people are experiencing it.
0: Yeah, I think one example that comes to mind for me was I watched the latest season of Queer Eye, if anyone watches that show, and they did an episode where they worked with this young girl who was probably around 20 or so and she just felt like she had the weight of the world on her shoulders and that if she didn't change the world then no one would and I think that's a really great example or a tangible idea of eco-anxiety and before this episode I don't think I had ever really heard that term before so for anyone else who hasn't heard of that before, can you define eco-anxiety?
1: Yeah, um, I do want to plug that episode, though, because it was a really good
0: one. Yes, it was. <laughs> it's such a great
1: show. I think she was part of the Sunrise Movement, yes. which is a really great uh, organization to follow, too. I'll plug that as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, so eco-anxiety is basically what it sounds like. It's basically, you know, basically just the fear of the future of our planet. Um, And it can be triggered from any number of things from massive wildfires like we're experiencing in the U.S. right now out west. Um, I know mine was really bad. My eco-anxiety was really bad earlier this year when the Australian fires were happening. Um, So yeah, it can be uh, any number of things. For people that are directly affected, uh, it can can stem from, you know, Go, living through, say, a wildfire or a flood or a hurricane, uh, people can develop that type of mental illness from, uh, you know, those events as well. So it kind of is a very broad term, I think, like a lot of anxiety. Um, but basic, the basic part of it is, is fear of the, you know, the future of our planet and our climate.
0: Obviously, climate related issues are becoming a lot more prevalent in our world. Why do you think that eco-anxiety is becoming this more mainstream topic and that a lot more people are starting to identify as having eco-anxiety? I think
1: that we're seeing a lot more telltale signs of climate change, whether people wanna believe it or not. Um, a lot of the natural disasters that are happening are, can be, people you know, think that it's related to climate change. Um, there's been a lot more reports that are pretty scary I mean to be completely honest about the future of our planet Uh, so I think it's just a lot more data we're starting to see a lot more evidence that climate change is actually happening even though scientists have been telling us for a while now Um, and I think that we have a generation that is really, like you mentioned that girl from the episode, really feeling the weight of the planet. And I think that um, administrations, not only in the U.S., but I've, you know, heard from friends who are overseas, um, governments and administrations aren't taking it as seriously as people would like. And I think that's that's really hard as for those of us on the outside to feel like you know, so the, cha- the change that's necessary is going to happen.
0: You wrote a blog post about eco-anxiety and you hit on it already a little bit, but you talked about a difference between people who have eco-anxiety who are concerned for the state of the planet and then people who have anxiety who have actually lived through a climate disaster or are experiencing these natural disasters on a personal level. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more and also talk about how these natural disasters and eco-anxiety are affecting um, black indigenous people of color on a greater scale compared to other people?
1: Yeah, so, you know, anxiety, a lot of it manifests um, similarly for people and how we experience it, Um, but there is a difference uh, for somebody like me, who just sees a lot of this stuff happening, reads the data, you know, media, all that stuff, versus somebody who's actually lived through it. You know, the, the, it's a it's a different, I'm not a mental health professional, but it's a difference in traumas and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of, you know, a big difference there. Um, when it comes to the Black, Indigenous, people of color, uh, you know, environmental racism is is real. And we know that people who are least likely to contribute to climate change, which t- generally tends to be low income, um, or, you know, black, indigenous people of color, uh, are the least likely to be contributing to it. And so, there's a statistic that I read uh, after Hurricane Katrina, which affected most, you know, mostly um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color uh, and low-income communities, that 49% of people developed an anxiety disorder from that. Um, So, you know, we look at that, that's half, that's a lot. And, you know, that's, that doesn't just go away on its own, you know, and I, I don't, Obviously not having experience in those communities, I don't wanna uh, speak for them, but also generally, generally uh, mental health assistance is not always readily available. So, you know, it, it, it kind of starts spiraling into all these you know, social issues and stuff that, that we see. Um, the other uh, group of people that are gonna be dealing with these traumas are children and when they live through a wildfire or a flood. um, There is a a statistic that's four out of five 10-year-olds express strong feelings of fear, sadness, and anger, and that's only exasperated if they've actually lived through one of those experiences. So, you know, we're starting to see eco-anxiety and these types of emotions and even really young kids
0: what are some of the coping mechanisms that we can use or what are some methods that you utilize in your own personal life to deal with eco-anxiety or anxiety in general?
1: Sure, so I found that my symptoms of eco-anxiety are pretty similar to my regular anxiety which is a um, generalized anxiety disorder with a OCD component. So, um, I'm able to at least kind of treat both things with similar uh, responses, which I guess in a way is nice. Um, I like to think of anxiety, whether it's eco-anxiety or generalized anxiety as uh, a type of energy. You know, I think we look at anxiety as being such a bad thing, but it's actually just our body doing its job. You know, like anxiety is... Is a manifestation of perceiving or our body perceiving a threat, and so you know I like to look at it as as a type of energy, and when I get really anxious, it's like that energy can just sit and fester, or I can do something and and kind of help that energy move through my body. So, I like to take action, whether that is going for a walk. Um, I love the term plogging which is like jogging or walking and picking up trash (laughs) Um, because you kind of like kill two (laughs) birds with one stone with it um so you can do that go for a walk uh other action steps are you know researching candidates to vote making sure you're registered to vote um taking action in your community which I understand is a little challenging right now during COVID but um you know you can connect with people in your community Uh, you can make a donation just stuff like that Um, one uh, um, tip that i like to follow is if i'm on social media or happen to catch the news and there's a piece of uh, media or a news story that triggers my anxiety uh, i'll try to immediately as soon as i can take an action so you know if i hear about um I don't know, plastic pollution or something, maybe I'll like send an email to a local coffee shop that's still using plastic and, you know, express my desire for them to uh, switch. You know, something like that. Um, there's, there's luckily, you know, when it comes to action, a lot of stuff you can do. Um, other anxiety uh, reduction tips are just honestly acknowledging it you know, the more we fight it, the more energy we give it, and just acknowledging it is, is really powerful. Um, so you can even just something as simple, whether you're talking to somebody or just in your own mind, just say, you know, yeah, I'm feeling really anxious about XYZ, you know, and that kind of just helps you pause and 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 just sit for a second um the follow-up piece to that is acceptance you know it's okay to be anxious it's not again it's not a bad thing you know so just sitting with the uncomfortable feelings which is not pleasant but you know it helps us work through it um from there you can journal as like i said go for a walk uh, talk to a friend uh, there are even some equal anxiety support groups starting to pop up I don't know of any personally in, in, in Minnesota, but uh, there's an organization called the Good Grief Network. Uh, they offer a 10-step program that is basically like a peer support group to help work through eco-anxiety. Um, I know that there are also something similar over in the UK. Um, I don't know the name right off hand, but you, know, you can even just do a quick, a quick Google search of eco-anxiety support groups. Um, If it gets to a point where your anxiety slash eco-anxiety is starting to take over, you know, and really affect your day-to-day, then it's a great idea to seek help if you're able. Uh, There are some free resources online. Um, The Crisis Text Helpline is a really great one. It's free, it's 24-7. You can just text them in and and talk with somebody. Otherwise, if you're, you know, have insurance or are able to afford a a therapy session, um, I mean, I've talked to my therapist about my eco-anxiety before, and and she said that she had had a lot of other people bring up similar topics. So it's not, you're not alone if you're
0: feeling this. Hmm, That's really interesting to hear that other people have also brought it up because it just shows how many people are also feeling these same feelings that, you are having. And I really like that idea that you brought up of the second that you feel anxious or the moment that you start feeling your anxiety coming on to take an action. I really like that way of helping your anxiety. I actually recently just downloaded the Calm app and I've been doing daily meditations, which has been really helpful for me. And it's very nature focused. So they play a lot of nature sounds and have a lot of images of nature. So it's really great for someone who likes the environment to also combine that with meditation. Do you use meditation at all or is that a great way to help with anxiety? I do. Yeah, I
1: uh, personally use Insight Timer, uh, which is a free app and they have... uh, hundreds of thousands of different meditations. Um, So you can find a style that works best for you, uh, you know, free of charge, um, or a teacher that you like better. Um, They've got guided meditations, they've got just music, they've got, I mean, again, all types of stuff. So yeah, I do it uh, every night. And then I've actually, within the past month, started doing it with my uh, almost five-year-old son. Uh, We do, they have kids ones as well on there. And so we do a couple of kids ones each night, which has been a really great experience uh, for both of us.
0: Yeah, I love that meditation is becoming so much more popular and that it's really something that anyone can do, even like with your young son, like you mentioned. On your blog, I also read another one of your posts that talked about eco-anxiety and eco-guilt. Can you talk about what the difference between those two things are?
1: Sure. So they're, they kind of, they can go hand in hand. Um, So we already talked about what eco-anxiety is. So eco-guilt is feeling guilty um, by choosing not to do something that's environmentally friendly when you could have. The quickest example that I can think of is if you're, you know, out on a road trip or something, or you know, hiking, and you forget your water reusable water bottle, so you go to the gas station get a plastic one, you know, and you probably, will, you know, probably you might feel guilty about that. Um, eco guilt can be a great motivator, though. Uh, we can use guilt as motivation. Uh, it, like I said, it can kind of turn into eco anxiety because uh, then you start to feel anxious about, oh my gosh, I, you know, took a plastic water bottle and this is, it takes 500 years to decompose, you know, you can start really <laughs> going down that rabbit Spirelling. hole. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the, I think the thing to watch out for with ego guilt is that it doesn't turn into eco shame because shame can be really um, damaging to somebody. Um, you know, just knowing that it's okay if you, Have a plastic water bottle every once in a while, you know, and just, yeah, acknowledging that.
0: Yeah, one quote that um, I've mentioned in a previous episode is that it's all about progress, not perfection. And there's no way for any of us to be perfect or be perfectly sustainable all the time. So we have to learn to give ourselves grace every now and then when we do have to get that plastic water bottle or use that plastic bag at the store.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that eco guilt can go pretty closely with perfectionism. You know, we think we feel like we have to be perfect in on this journey. And like you said, it's not it's we don't have to be, um, you know, and actually perfectionism is can be a manifestation of anxiety. So, you know, it kind of just like letting yourself off the hook, knowing you're trying your best. And, you know, and also remembering that we don't live in a society that sets us up for success in this. You know, it's like we can, but you have to work at it because we live in a linear, disposable society. So
0: that's very true. Yes. I think a major part of bringing awareness to eco-anxiety and anxiety in general is talking about it more, sharing stories like you have with us today, and finding out that so many of us are all experiencing the same feelings and that we're all in this together. I saw on your blog, you did a series called anxiety stories, which I thought was a really neat way to shed light on anxiety. Can you tell us a little more about that series and just talk about how it really helps to hear from other people that are experiencing anxiety?
1: Yeah that was a really fun series for me to do. Um, So basically I came up with a list of questions and then I interviewed people who have experienced anxiety in their life. Um, I wanted to ask everyone the same questions so that those reading the series could compare and contrast the answers and just so we could really see the variety of uh, anxiety symptoms and how it manifests in our life and also Different treatment options. Most people, you know, generally had the same type of anxiety symptoms. Um, the treatment was what varied differently. So that was kind of an interesting finding. But um, I know for me personally, when I'm really deep in an anxiety spiral, um, this was very prevalent when I was uh, dealing with my postpartum anxiety. I thought that I had to be the, literally the only person on earth that was experiencing this stuff and I internalized everything. Um, and it wasn't until I my psychologist told me that one of the symptoms I was experiencing uh, was something that 80% of women postpartum also experienced. And I like almost got angry at her because I had been suffering so much thinking like I, you know, had to be the only person that was dealing with this stuff. Um, and 80% of women yet nobody was talking about it, you know, and I have heard from other people too, that, you know, anxiety can be very isolating and I'm sure other mental illnesses can as well. I mean, obviously depression. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in other mental illness, so I don't want to speak to those, but, um, you know, anxiety can be so isolating, and it's just it it's just so common. That was why I started the series because I would talk about my own anxiety story on you know Instagram or something, and I'd get DMs from people who oh I experienced this too. And it's just like, okay, why are we not talking about this? This is so silly. It's something that's natural, and you know that we can just make it so much easier on ourselves if if we know we're not alone. So that was why I started it and that's why I talk so openly about my own experience uh, because I just I don't want anybody else if if I can help it to feel that isolating feeling because it's awful.
0: We're not going to be able to solve any of these problems that we're facing unless we work together. So I think it is a really important first step for all of us to be honest with each other and open with each other because there's so many of us out there who have the same common goal of helping save the planet. And a lot of us are experiencing these same feelings of eco-guilt and eco-anxiety. So I really appreciate that you have given a platform to all these people and shed light on this issue of eco anxiety so thank you as we come to the end of the episode i'd love to know your thoughts on how we can remain hopeful even when we have this eco anxiety and specifically what are you hopeful about i think
1: that you know we have to have hope it's you know it's it's such a motivating thing and for me I you know I have my son who I mentioned is almost five and you know I see him get excited about something in nature and like that makes me really hopeful. Um, You know so many youth right now are getting involved more so than I remember when I was that age and that's really inspiring to me. Um, It makes me feel bad that you know they feel like they have to but it's really encouraging. And, you know, I I know that those of us in the sustainability realm would love to see things happen so much faster, but things are changing. We are seeing a lot of big corporations and companies like start to realize that, you know, perhaps we need to make some changes and and that's really inspiring as well.
0: For all of the listeners who want to find you online, you post some really great content related to mindfulness, and all of the topics that we've discussed throughout the episode. So where can listeners find you?
1: Yeah, so my blog is uh, at reducereuserenewblog.com. And uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook under the same handle, reducereuserenewblog.
0: I'll be sure to put all of those in the show notes so that everyone can follow you and learn more about your content. Laura, thank you so much for being here today and for being so open and honest about your experiences because I think it's really going to help a lot of listeners identify with the feelings that they're having also. So thank you for being here today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.